Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 40. We're walking through Psalm 40 in this series, and we're looking at verses 11 to 13 this morning. And as we turn there or uh, open our phones or whatever it is that we regularly interact with the Word of God, let's turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. So, Lord, please speak to us by your Word. Pray, Lord, that each of us would hear something this morning where we would know that you, Lord our God, are speaking to us from a place of mercy and love and faithfulness. Draw us near to you, Lord Jesus. By your holy word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Nobody likes to admit guilt. You know, if we took a poll, if I, if I asked the question among us, is something wrong with the world that needs fixing, what do you think we would, we would say? How many would say there's something wrong in the world that needs fixing. I think we'd be at about 100%, wouldn't we? We'd be just about there now. But what if I turned and I said this? But, you know, you're part of the world. Is there something wrong in you that needs fixing? Amen. And if we went out of there in the world and on the street and asked that question, I wonder, if, I wonder how, where, we, where we would get. I don't think it would be 100%. In 1986, People Magazine did a, uh, a survey. They ran a sin survey called the Sindex. They said, uh, what's, what's the, uh, uh, the, the worst sin and are you a sinner? And, uh, and the poll ranked murder, child abuse, and spying against uh, as, as one of the, the worst things, some of the worst things. But the list gets a little funny. It ranked handicapped spot parking above adultery <laughs> or illegally videotaping someone. Cutting in line was worse than cheating on your wife. <laughs> Overall, they didn't see themselves as sinners. In fact, the average, was, uh, the average on the poll was I sent about 4.64 times a month. Well, we want to come to the word this morning a little bit more honest about our sins, a little bit more aware. Psalm 40, verses 11 to 13. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. And my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. And we're grateful for God's word. Amen. We can be a little more honest. It isn't just 4.64, I think, sins per month. Our sins, they overtake us. They wash us out. There's something wrong in the world that needs fixing, and it runs right through my own heart. 
It's jarring to, to see a man writing this way about his own life, isn't it? Someone who says, uh, my sins have overtaken me. I'm, I'm undone entirely. I'm, I'm, I'm washed out entirely. I, I'm, uh, I'm in big trouble. I'm in too deep. There's something very private about that. This isn't something that you would hear someone saying a lot in public. We're into someone's private journal now. This is something that you would say alone, maybe, or, or, or that you would say to God. But I hope, I hope that you can say it. I hope you can admit it. Sin is at work in the world, and sin is at work in me. A friend told me recently that he bumped into Philip Yancey, a famous Christian author. And when I say he bumped into him, I mean he crashed into him. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, saw this famous person. He came around the corner and bang, and there you go, damage done. Uh, to Philip Yancey, you know, oops. And so whose fault is it when we crash into to each other? Is it Phil's fault? Yeah, it's Phil's fault, you know. He should have been paying better attention. Or maybe it's the corner's fault, you know. It's that terrible corner that obscured my vision. What a, what a horrible corner to do such a thing. Or, or, is it, or is it actually something in me? Should I bear some responsibility. Well, maybe there's a problem with someone else. Maybe others have have done us some wrong. Maybe there are some problems in the system, the world out there that's going to set us up in, in poor ways. But maybe, maybe, can we admit it, there's something inside of me. There's some fault, and maybe I need to come to terms with it. When it comes to recognizing our own faults, and the damage they do to others. We are islands of ignorance on a sea of unknowing. Nobody wants to admit it. I heard a story on NPR of a recovering alcoholic and and it had some very good points. She had some very good points about the ups and downs of addiction recovery and how best to walk through all of that. But I was discouraged in the story to hear that the woman quit her program because, she said, because there's a, a prayer in there, there was a prayer we had to pray admitting our wrong. And it just made me feel bad. Yeah. Is it unhealthy to take a hard look at our sin? Is it unhealthy sometimes to look at, at what's wrong inside of us and, and how we are, we are, we are damaging our, ourselves, we're hurting the world, we're hurting those around us? I think it's unhealthy, I think unhealth, it's unhealthy to believe that we can manage it on our own, to believe that there's nothing wrong with us and it must all be out there. I think it's unhealthy to think that this is something that I can tackle and handle and, and, and I can save myself from it. There is something wrong in the world that needs fixing, and there is something wrong in me that needs fixing. And no, I can't fix it on my own. I can't fix it on my own. So I don't need a, I don't need a coach. I don't need a teacher. I don't need a hand. What I need is a Savior. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. We're walking verse by verse through Psalm 40 under this theme, unstuck. God knows that life includes hard things. We get into stuck places. 
And the Bible addresses that. It even gives us language to cry out to God when we are upset, when things are wrong, when things are broken, and and to share with God what hurts, what doesn't fit. We know as we lift up that theme that we're touching on deep-seated emotional issues, and we don't want to throw spiritual whitewash over any of that. So we've partnered with our consortium of Christian counselors and even put a number in the bulletin to call if you're feeling stuck and need help. And what I want to tell you is that in the last three weeks, I can tell you they have been receiving calls. People have dialed that number. People getting help for depression and anxiety, drug and alcohol addiction, abusive relationships, grief, and job losses. All of that is coming, and we celebrate how God is at work releasing our church from these stuck places, don't we? And what we've seen in Psalm 40 is that when we are stuck, We want to cry out to a God who hears. And when we are stuck, we want to get with people, not withdraw. And today what we find is that when we are stuck, it might just be time to meet your Savior. Verse 11. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. Well, look at what's in that verse. We pray for God's mercy. In every situation, we pray that God will be merciful to us. As they say, mercy is not getting what you deserve. (laughs) Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And we always pray, Lord, just please be merciful to me in this situation. But even when we're pushed into hard places, when we go through difficult things in life, we trust that God is constant in love and faithfulness. Remember, even if you don't feel it, you need to know it, that God is good, faithful, saving, loving, and true. So even when it feels like the mercy is drained, when it feels like maybe the protection isn't coming, what you trust in is what you know, and even when your feelings won't verify it. God is love. God is faithfulness. God is merciful and good. This is the gift of God's self-revelation in Scripture. He's shown us and told us who He is. So we can know who He is even when we don't feel like that's who He is. We can know who He is and what His character is even when situations in life and circumstances that we're in seem to sing a different refrain. God is good. He is love. He is faithfulness. So David, on that basis, David, the author of the psalm, he opens his heart. Look at verse 12 now. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Isn't that an honest place? He says, yes, there's troubles all around me. I know there's troubles all around me, but look at what he does. He doesn't just say, so I'm going to blame all these troubles around me. There's something else going on too. There's sin inside of me, and my sins, my sins have overtaken me. They've they've washed me out. I can't see because of them. Some have described it as being deafened. 
being deafened by the clanging of your own chains wrapped around you. I can't see, I can't hear, I'm totally swamped. This is not a small problem, this is not a minor issue. I'm beyond my own capacity entirely. And so what do I need? I don't need a a helpful brochure. I don't need a, a BuzzFeed post on five tips to escaping sin, you know? That's not going to do it. It's too deep. It's too much. And if I don't get some help, I am utterly lost. So, verse 13, be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. Would you, would you join me this morning just in saying that? I think there's something in that verse that's going to speak to every single person here. And it may be a different word that jumps out to you in the power of the Holy Spirit than that jumps out to me. Let's say it together. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. Be pleased to save me. Do you see how he he notes that it's all up to God? Lord, you be pleased to save me. It's all down to the motivation, the inclination of the heart of the Lord. Where where he says, Lord, please have within you the, the good pleasure of wanting to come and save me. Unless you want to come and save me, then I'm lost. There's nothing that I can say or do to make you move. But if you are so inclined, if you have any inclination to help, then please, please come and come quickly and save me. I need your saving help. Don't wait. Don't wait. If you've got it in mind, Lord, to intervene, if you've got it in your heart to be my Savior, don't wait. Come to me now. I don't know how long my heart can take this. Please save me, Lord. This isn't always what we say to the Lord. Some think it's unhealthy as as we... As we mentioned, there are different responses. Uh, For me personally, I can't think of anything more right than to come to a realistic and true assessment of my personal condition and appeal for help from the only one who can possibly intervene. But not all start in that place. Sometimes we say, no need, God, I'm good. No need. I'm good. In fact, I think this is the most common response to Jesus as Savior. No need. No, 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 no. No need. I'm I'm good. I'm sure I'll I'll make it. I'm sure I'll I'll figure it out. I'll Google it. I'll Google it. Right? No need. I'm what? Think about that, would you? We, uh, we want to be independent and we want to uh, no, have no need like this, nothing that, that, uh, that drives us to a place of need. Well, friends, to quote from Anselm of Canterbury, if that's where you are this morning, you have not yet grasped the gravity of sin. Sin is not an accidental mistake here, a few missteps in life. Sin is a force, 
It's a power at work in you, confusing and twisting your life from the inside and dragging you down. It's a power at work in the world, pushing you down from the outside and crushing your life. Sin is individual guilt at work within, and it is an alien power at work without in the world. It separates you from God. It separates you from who you are meant to be. It separates you from eternal life. No need. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm sure I'm fine. (laughs) And all the while, the tendrils of sin are growing up and choking life. No need, I'm good. Sometimes we say, Lord, get away. This was the prayer of Isaiah when he found himself in the presence of the Lord. This was the prayer of of Peter when he was in the boat hearing Jesus teach for the first time and realizing he was in the presence of the divine. Peter said, Lord, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm a sinner. If your first response to a sense of the presence of God is to try to push him away, you're in good company. Sometimes we say, get away from me, Lord. It's a frightening thing to come into the arms of the loving God. Sometimes we say, Lord, help me. Now this can be a good response, a healthy prayer. We need the help of the Lord and God wants to to, to know our needs and our wants and God promises to respond to us with help. He is our strong helper and redeemer, our refuge and our strength. But sometimes we pray this prayer from a sense of wanting God to help us with our own agenda. We say, God, you help me. I've got a program. I've got a a thing running here. And and Lord, I'd love it if you'd jump on board. You know, I I would just, I'd love, you've you've got a lot to bring to the table. So here's what we're going to do. Now you, right? Now you help me. Sometimes we pray that prayer asking God to bless our agenda instead of submitting ourselves entirely to the purposes of the Lord. And what that reveals is that what we want deep down is our own success, not the presence and intimacy of a relationship with Jesus. We say, Lord, help me. I don't want Jesus. I want what Jesus can do for me. Lord, help me. Similar to this response would be response number four. Lord, gimme. That should probably be gimme, shouldn't it? Yeah, gimme. Lord, give me. Jesus himself taught us to pray this prayer, didn't he? I mean, we'll pray it in just a, a minute here. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Give us, give. Lord, give me. When we're in need, when we're in stuck places, we want to cry out to a God who provides, a God who who helps us. God, give me what I need to get through this. But look at how Jesus phrases it. Give us today our, what? Daily bread. Oh, I don't just want daily bread. (laughs) I want some bread for tomorrow. You know, and in fact, I want bread 
that's going to carry me all the way through to the end. I want bread for tomorrow and tomorrow's tomorrow and all the way to the end of the run. Look, what I'd like is I'd like to have enough bread, enough of everything I need to know for certain that I and my family will go all the way to the end with enough to spare. That's what I'd like. Well, now that sounds again like a prayer to push God away. I don't want to need you tomorrow, Lord. God says, no, I'm not going to give you bread all the way down to the end of the run. I'm going to give you daily bread. Tomorrow, you return to me. Tomorrow, it's my hand again that feeds you. Tomorrow, you come into my presence. Do you love me? Do you trust me? I'll be there. I'll be with you. Some of, us, uh, some of us have more than daily bread, though, don't we? And I want to challenge you with this idea. It could be that God has given you more than daily bread, extra and over and above, so that you may know the joy of sharing that surplus with someone else and representing and embodying the love and providence of God to a neighbor in need. I'm not saying we don't uh, save or, or prepare or, or set things aside to care for our family, but maybe there's even more in your life, and maybe God has given you that to, so that you can, can be the providence and love and care of God to someone else. Let me push on that a little bit further. If you have a surplus in your life, how are you using it? Every day, that you use surplus resources as a defense against dependence on God, you fall further away. You fall further away. We pray, Lord, give me. And He does. And we walk away. Right. Well, it resolves to this. David gets to the very depths of his soul's need. This is where it resolves. Number five, Lord, you want to say it with me? Save me. I'm in dire straits, Lord. I need more than a change of situation. I need to be saved personally, within myself. I need you to save me. Peter, who was in that boat with Jesus and said, Lord, get away from me, he he later in that ministry had a moment of, of calling on the Lord in complete and utter dependence. It was a later time in another boat when, when Jesus came walking along the sea and And Peter cried out to him, walking on the surface of the water, and said, Lord, command me to come to you. And Jesus called him, and Peter stepped out of the boat, and he walked on the water, on the surface of the Sea of Galilee, looking at Jesus, eyes on Jesus. You can read about it in Matthew 14. Here's Peter, an ordinary man, walking on the surface of the water, eyes on Jesus. But then, Matthew 14, verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, he cried out, what? Lord, save me. This is the prayer we need. There's great intimacy in it. There's great vulnerability in it. 
There's nothing in it that says, Lord, I just need you to change the situation and I'll be fine. There's nothing in it that says, Lord, I just need you to empower me and then we can go our separate ways and you won't have to see me again from here. No, it's directly to Jesus. Lord, you save me, save me. Are you ready to pray, save me to the Lord Jesus Christ? To say, my sins are too much. My troubles have overtaken me. I can't see. I can't hear. Lord, save me. Unless you come and intervene. Unless you are pleased to bring your saving power into my life. I am lost. And I have nothing to win the fight. We pray from a place of humility and need. Like a a kitten in a tree like a child in a well, like a drowning man, like a desperate woman, we pray, Lord, Lord, be quick to save me. I don't need a coach. I don't need a trainer. I don't need a teacher or a friend. I need a Savior today. I need a Savior, Jesus. Jesus is that Savior. Before I close and give us a chance to pray together for His saving help, Tomorrow is Memorial Day, and Memorial Day is a time to remember those who gave their lives for our freedoms as a nation, and we remember with gratitude the sacrifice they made. But I want to remember another today, a young man named Kendrick Castillo. Uh, This is the young man who when two students opened fire on his classrooms in in Highland Ranch STEM school earlier this month, felt not a hint of hesitancy in his spirit, but he rose from his desk and he rushed the shooters and he put an end to their intention to kill many others. He gave his life. And it's so noble that we almost don't even want to say it was a life lost. Like we don't want to say Kendrick lost his life. He didn't lose his life. He spent his life. He gave his life to save others. And it is tragic. And it is sad. And of course, we wish we could haul him up on stage right now and clap him on the back and say, Well done. Now what can I do for you? And we can't do that because his life is spent to save the lives of others. We remember sacrifices like that, don't we? But I want to ask you, why does it mean so much to us? Of course, it's bravery. It's it's human kindness. It's courage to move against evil and put a stop to it when it is seemingly breaking out all around us. It's courage and strength. But I think it, it warms our heart. It touches us deeply because it reminds us of another one. Another one who gave his life. 
not only for his friends, not only for a classroom full of students, Jesus, who gave his life to put an end to death and evil. Jesus, who died for all of us to rescue us from sin and the destruction of death. Jesus, who won the day when he gave his life on the cross and rose again from the dead, proving the surety of the final consummation of his victory. In days to come, we see Jesus in Kendrick. So I ask you this morning, are you ready to pray, save me? Whatever situation you're in, wherever you're feeling stuck, ultimately it isn't the situation you need changed, it's your heart you need changed. It's the eternal purpose and destiny of your soul you need changed. It's a Savior you need. And Jesus has proven by his life, his death, and his resurrection, he is that Savior. So I want to give us an opportunity to pray. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to follow along with me. For some of you, that's the continuation of a conversation with Jesus that you are in uh, almost daily, almost every moment. Lord Jesus, be my Savior. But for others of you in this room, this may be the kickstarter of a conversation that's true that's honest, that's genuine with Jesus, that you begin today for the very first time. And it isn't a conversation that says, Lord, give me what I need so I can get out of here. Give me me the resources I need to have so I can walk away from you. No, it's, Lord, I want to be with you, and I need you, and I want you in my life as my Savior. I want to know you and love you and follow you, Jesus. Unless you come and save me, Lord, I am lost. So I want to invite you, friends, to pray together, every voice from back to front, all of us. Some of us, it's, as I say, this is a prayer life that continues. For others, it's a prayer life that begins right now, but nobody prays alone. So I'm going to pray, and you follow after me, and would you bow your heads, and let's pray together. Lord, my God, I recognize today my need for you. Unless you rescue me, I am lost. Forgive me my sins. Save me from the power of sin. Thank you for your death on the cross and your resurrection life. I love and follow you my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.